I don't think any story in all of the Bible is both so lie, so low, and so high at the same time. None so dark, none so light. None as tragic and yet as hopeful as the story of Peter's denial and his comeback. This is the worst failure in all of human history, but thank God it is also the best recovery at the same time. It is an amazing story of Peter's comeback. We're going to talk about repentance, perhaps the most uh, remarkable story of repentance in all of the Bible. Speaking of repentance, you may have heard the story about a man who was painting his house, but he only bought five gallons of paint. He knew he couldn't finish the job with five gallons, so he started to thin it with water. He thinned and he thinned, and finally the job was done. But wouldn't you know it, a big black cloud showed up over the house. It rained and rained and, of course, washed all the paint off of the house. The guy was wondering what happened when he heard a voice from the cloud, repaint and thin no more. (laughs) There you go. That's a groaner, I know, but uh, all right. Father, we want to come to you, and we do ask you that you would help us to learn how to repent. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Luke 22, and we're going to read all these verses, uh, several of them together, out loud. I think there's, uh, I want you to join me in that. I think there's health in that. And I think it's good for you. The Bible, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. And the Bible says, speak into yourselves in psalms and hymns. So we're going to do all that the Bible says. We're going to come into our ear gates. So let's read from verse 54 all the way to verse 62. We're using the King James Version. If you don't have that uh, available, of course, we have all these electronic gadgets now, it's probably really close for you. But we do have it on the overhead here. All right, ready, begin. Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, when he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter's story is my story. Peter's story is also your story. Everyone who has come to Christ thinking, this is it, 
I am on my way now. It's clear sailing from here. Everyone who has ever trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior understands what it means to blow it, to trip up and to struggle and to be overcome by temptation. We spent seven weeks talking about temptation and we reminded ourselves all different ways to avoid it. And I wish we could say that it would always work, but our human nature, we know that it's not the case. We trip up, we mess up. But at the same time, thank God, there is a way back. There's a comeback. And God wants us to know that we can get right with Him. The story of Peter is a humbling story. It's a sad story. And yet by the time we get to the end, I think you'll see it is a thrilling story, a hopeful story from devastation to restoration. Now, as you read Luke's account of the denial of Peter, it's all really in one succinct, nice little neat paragraph. And it might be imagined that everything that is spoken happened immediately over the space of maybe a few minutes and sequentially. However, Dr. Luke, uh, being uh, the physician that he was and had a very keen mind, the Holy Spirit decided to let him give us the facts. But the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, give us some additional look into it. If you're taking notes, uh, you can go to Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 18. And when you put the four gospels together, and that's exactly why God gave us four gospels, because each one kind of presents Jesus from a little different facet. Like looking at a diamond, some would say, oh, look at all those cuts. Others would say, oh, look at the clarity. Others would say, oh, look at the total shape. And when each of these gospel writers look at Jesus, the diamond for sure, he gives us each one a little look at what's going on. But when you put all the four together, you find out a little bit more what happened. And so I'm going to be borrowing from a few of the others as we're going along here. But I think Luke 22 gives us a really good core to begin with. Now, all of the things that we read here did take place in the same place. It's all in the courtyard of the high priest. It did all take place at approximately the same time. All of it was during the night um, before the morning would come. And so what happened was the false teachers, these uh, Judaizers, these people who were just had uh, gotten way off base, they decided that Jesus was a threat to them. And so they uh, did what they could to arrest him. And so they came along with the temple guards and some Roman soldiers arresting Jesus. Now, uh, they're going to bring him before the Roman court first light. And uh, they are looking for some sort of an indictment that will stick. They can't come before the Roman court without something that seems genuine. Ultimately, they basically accuse him of sedition, that he's trying to overthrow the Roman government, something that they would be concerned about. And so there they are in the high priest's home. He was Jewish. He was a very rich man. 
Now, the story actually, though we picked it up there in verse 52, um, or 54, we, it actually begins in verse 31. So if you just want to turn back to verse 31, and the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, <laughs> when God calls your name twice, he know you're talking to you. Behold, listen to me, listen to me. You're not listening, Simon. He doesn't call him by his surname, Peter, but he calls him like, you know, when your mom used to say to you or your dad, Timothy, <laughs> or my wife when I burned her little uh, towel the other day, Timothy, what are you doing? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Are you listening to me, Peter? Are you listening to me? Satan desires. That means he has come to us with a, uh, a request. He wants to take your salvation. He wants to send you to hell. He wants to destroy. If you can't do that, he wants to destroy your faith. He wants to shipwreck you and Jesus used the word sift, which means just shake him, shake him to the core. They would sift wheat and try to make sure they would get out the impurities, get out the little pebbles, get out the chaff, and they would shake it real hard, kind of like they do out in these walnut orchards. They shake it, and they get all the nuts down to the ground. But Jesus said to him, even though he's going to shake you, and you're going to be shaken like you've never been shaken. Here's the promise I will tell you. You will never lose your salvation, number one. You can't. It's impossible. And number two, you will be restored. And you, God is going to use you in a mighty way even after this shaking. And then he says to him, this is a promise. This is a promise to you. You perhaps have heard of the historical work, the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. It's a classic work. Well, I have renamed this sermon the fall, the decline, and the rise of Peter's empire. And so first of all, let's talk about the fall of his empire. What did Peter do? What happened? Like the famous night show host asked one actor after he had blown it so much, he said, what were you thinking? <laughs> and that's exactly what we want to say here. Peter, what were you thinking? I believe there's at least four reasons why Peter had a decline and a fall, and that is, number one, Peter boasted too much. Look at verse 33. Jesus had told him, you're going to be shaken to your core. Peter said, and he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. So they had been together in the upper room, and after they had sung a hymn together, Jesus had said, all of you are going to blow it. You're going to fail. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk back on your faith. And it's a very sad, it wasn't like he was gleefully saying, he was just saying, I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be a, a shaking. You guys have never seen or heard of in your life. But Peter wasn't having it. 
as we just read, Peter said, look, I, I don't want to contradict you, Jesus, but I'm telling you right now, there is one person who is not going to deny you. That's me. Because I am ready to die. I'm ready to go to prison, whatever it takes. And if you take another of the Gospels, Mark 14, God adds the word, he spoke vehemently. <laughs> Peter spoke vehemently. Basically, Peter was actually irritated with God. He was irritated with Jesus. He was all hot and bothered. Almost felt threatened, I guess. What are you saying? You, you saying I just walk out on you? No way, Jesus. I'm no, I'm not that kind of, I'm no betrayer. I, I am not a turncoat. You can count on me. Jesus, verse 34, said, well, I'm telling you, Peter, the cock shall not crow. The rooster's not going to let out a crow this day before you deny me. In fact, um, you're going to deny me three times. Now, Peter was a courageous man. He was an amazing disciple. And very much, uh, we loved uh, Peter. We fall, we, so many of us uh, connect with Peter. But I will say this about uh, Peter. You know, he was the one that got out on the water, courageous enough to walk out on that water. He was a courageous man. And yet we see his courage becoming in the way of his spirituality. His strength became his weakness. Oswald Chambers, a great devotional writer, said this. This is a great thing to write down. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. I'll say that again. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Peter's strength was his courage, but it became his weakness because maybe he let down in that area. Basically, Peter said to the Lord, you're wrong. I know myself better than you know me. I am not turning my back on you. Now, I think if anything, Peter should have said, look, I, if you say that I'm going to walk back on my faith, I'm going to believe you. I better stop and think about this thing. Peter was arguing when he should have been listening. He was boasting when he should have been depending. He was boasting way too much. Kind of reminds me of some of these people this last week when Hurricane Flo, we have our own Flo around here, but uh, she's not a hurricane. She's a sweet sister. And uh, although I've never seen her mad, but, uh, um, but Hurricane Flo came in. And some of those folks just said, I don't care what you say, I'm sticking there. I'm staying with my house, or I'm staying on this boat. I read one of those persons, uh, they were rescuing, and they were saying, I'm the stupidest person who ever lived. I don't know why I thought I could stay here. <laughs> and that's what Peter was. He was saying, you know, I'm staying right with you. And then when the hurricane hit, he's, oh, man, well, I'm so stupid. The fall of Peter, he boasted too much. Number two, he prayed too little. Peter prayed too little. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40, Jesus had been praying, and he comes and he finds them sleeping. And he chastises them. He wasn't criticizing them for the fact that they could not even pray for an hour, but he was like, I can't believe it, really. I couldn't, you can't even pray for an hour without sleeping. And many of us have 
fallen into that same trap. We try to pray, and after five minutes, we sleep or whatever. But here, these people were sleeping instead of praying. And so, and it seems like, well, that's bad, and it is bad when we don't pray. But I think it's even worse because the prayerlessness was not the worst part. It was, I think, an indicator of the pride that says, I'm able to handle this thing on our own. We don't really need you, God. I will tell you this, when you know it's way outside of your strength zone, you are just praying, oh God, oh God. But when we think we got it all covered, you know, we're like, okay, thank you, Lord. Uh, You know, we get up in the morning, we tip our hat and off we go. Not even pray, because we know how to do our job. But when we think we're in trouble, boy, we'll pray. I don't think the prayerlessness was so bad as the pride behind the prayerlessness. I don't need God. Peter boasted too much, and he prayed too little. He didn't really need Jesus. He had just been warned by Jesus, you are going to be shaken. Peter, pray. Do not run off into this thing without praying. But number three, Peter acted too fast. He boasted too much, he prayed too little, and then he acted too fast. Look at verse 50, and one of them, we're told in the other gospels, it was Peter, smote off the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. The guy would have lost his head if he hadn't ducked, but Peter was swinging as hard as he could. The guy ducked, chopped his ear off. Peter Jesus looks over at him in the next verse and says, what in the world are you doing? Stop. This is not the time to do something like this. Was he courageous? Yes, but really Jesus was saying, you're presumptuous. And I think that maybe Peter in the back of his mind, without just railing on Peter here, I would say this. I think he was in the back of his mind trying to prove to Jesus, I'm going to tell you something, Jesus I am not going to fail you. I know you think I'm going to run on you, but I'm not going to do it. And he was trying to prove it by his courage of doing whatever it took. I'm not going to bail on you. But Peter, Peter had the wrong enemy. He was trying to fight those people in front of him when his biggest battle was going on in his spirit with the devil and with the world and with his own flesh. He'd already been told by Christ that he was going to deny him three times. But rather than stop, pull back and say, you know what, if that's what you're saying, maybe I need to, maybe I need to kind of gather myself together and get loaded for bear here. If it's, if it's going to be that big, it's time to pray. We need to pray. Now we pick it up in verse 54. And it says, they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Now, here's the scene. Jesus is being treated as a common criminal. He is led away to the house of the high priest. As I mentioned earlier, they need to come up with some kind of an accusation. These Jewish people who were, had been colonized, basically, by the Romans, they needed to come up with some sort of an accusation and an indictment that would stick. They were going to go to the Roman court in the morning, which was basically a kangaroo court. But uh, they needed something that they would execute Jesus for. And so they can't 
show up in the morning, first light, without something in their hand. And so they decided to work all night coming up with a plan. So they go to the high priest, Annas. He actually was the former high priest, and he actually was the power behind Caiaphas. Caiaphas was his son-in-law, and he was the current high priest. Now, the home was of Annas. He probably allowed Caiaphas and his daughter to live in the area there. They had a big courtyard. You can imagine a very palatial estate with a big courtyard and uh, enough for many people to be able to be there. He was extremely rich. He was extremely rich because he had been extorting money for many years through the temple. Remember when Jesus came into the temple? He did it twice, actually. He came into the temple and he said, what in the world are you doing? You're turning the temple into a den of thieves. He overturned the tables. What was going on? Well, Annas and Caiaphas were profiting from all kinds of for-profit things. They were using you know, culture and using the different things of the day to try to get money from these people. And so the Bible says that uh, Jesus is in the courtyard of Annas, the high priest, a very rich man. And um, it says, however, that, and this is our fourth point, and that is that Peter followed too far. He boasted too much, I'm not failing you, Lord. He prayed too little. He was sleeping even when he was told he was going to fall, and then he acted too fast. He jumped ahead, and really another form of his pride, he said, no, I am not going to fail you, and he takes to action when he should have started praying, and then he followed too far. Look what verse 54 says, he followed from afar. Now, Jesus is in the courtyard. Somehow, Peter circles back, and he's able to enter which is kind of strange, but he's able to enter into the courtyard. Now, how in the world was Peter, one of the disciples, able to get into this very tense situation? Well, in John chapter 18 and verse 15, we're told how that happened. The Bible says that another disciple actually gets him a pass through the gate. John chapter 18 and verse 15 says, another disciple. Well, every time in the book of John, when he uses that phrase, another disciple, he's talking about himself, John. And specifically in that verse, it says, who was known to the high priest. Hmm, isn't that something? We're not sure how the high priest family knew John or how John fit into the what kind of a relationship he had with the high priest. But whatever, he at least was in good enough uh, speaking terms with the high priest that he was able to gain access and was able to get a pass for Peter. But when they came in the, through the gate, the porter at the gate happened to be a lady, a young lady, a maiden, who was the keeper of the gate. It was midnight. It was very cool air at that altitude at that time of the year. And so the fire was an immediate attraction for everybody. Verse 55. Luke 22 and verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, so it's a big courtyard. There are Roman soldiers there. There are Jewish temple guards there. There is a whole host of religious leaders. There is a, quite a bit of commotion going on. Jesus 
has uh, been through the area there accusing him, and Peter sits down by the flames to take the chill off of the cool night. His heart was beating out of his chest, but he had to be there. He had to be there to see Jesus, but I think he had to be there to prove to himself, maybe to Jesus, I am no betrayer. I know you said I'm going to be shaken. I know you told me that I'm going to walk back on my faith, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. But we can see him. He's boasting too much. He is praying too little. He is acting too fast. And now we see him following too far. And here he is in the dark, flickering firelight, trying to blend in, trying to stay out of harm's way. He's uh, way in the back, verse 56, but a certain maid, we know who that maid was because we're told in the other gospels who it was. It was the porter of the gate, the one he had to walk through. He probably would have never noticed him had not she been the one checking the tickets through the gate. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, but didn't just look over at him. She stood up called for everybody's attention, and then looked at Peter in the eye. This was a dramatic moment. This man was also with him. She was trying to impress the men with her intimate knowledge of the details of all the sedition going on. And I think she was trying to score points with the high priest. And so she stands up and she throws him under the bus and then backs up over him. I mean, she is just nailing him to the wall. Peter's worst fears now had come true. He was exposed. He was seen as he, they thought he was. Now, verse 57, and he denied, woman, I don't know him. Not only was that a lie, it was an incredible act of cowardice. Caught off guard, he was lying and a coward. Now, maybe Peter would have been ready if it had been a frontal assault. Maybe if he had been standing next to Peter, or excuse me, next to Christ during all of the things that he was going through, maybe he would have said, yes, I'm with you, Jesus. And he did earlier. He was right next to him. But here alone by himself in the dark, sitting in the background all by himself, when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're alone, when we're tired, H-A-L-T, halt. It's time to stop for a minute. Those are moments of temptation. He was lonely and by himself. When an insignificant, uh, insignificant, no, she was absolutely Satan's prime choice. She walks up out of nowhere. He wasn't expecting this girl to throw him out there. She maybe, he was maybe expecting something else. Verse 58, and after a little while, another saw him and said, you're also one of them. And he said, man, I am not. And then in verses 59 and 60, another person says the same thing. Now they start rat packing him. I mean, boy, they are just after him. First, it was this young gal. I'm sure she was so excited when everybody started attacking him. Another said, I know you're with him because you don't even talk like us. You talk like one of them northerners up in Galilee. And then it says, immediately, while he was speaking, 
that is Peter, the cock crew. It dawned on him at that very moment, at that miraculous moment, when Jesus warned him, everything Jesus had said had come through. Now there's a miracle, maybe two miracles at least, in the fact that a rooster was crowing. Now you know that roosters are God's uh, alarm clocks with feathers. These uh, are amazing little creatures. The first miracle was that God poked one rooster that would talk at that very second. It must have been pretty close to uh, dawn at that moment. But I think the second miracle was that God kept every other rooster quiet at the same time. He poked one rooster and everything, every other rooster, he gave him lockjaw. Now, Peter was so upset. He, he was running for his life. He was out of his mind scared. And we're told in Matthew 27 and verse 64, he began to curse and swear. Didn't say that in Luke 22, but it, he began to curse and swear. He said, he cursed, meaning, may God damn me if I am not telling the truth. And then he began to swear, I swear allegiance to another God. I swear allegiance to the, uh, the, the emperor. He began to curse and swear. What started out as just a little too far back, now became a lie, then became absolute blasphemy. And the Lord had warned him. He boasted too much. He prayed too little. He acted too fast. And then he followed too far. Folks, we can't, uh, you can't just play games with God. You either got to be all in or you're going to be in dangerous territory. And then perhaps the most compelling sentence of the entire passage in Luke 22, verse 61. It says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Jesus is coming across the courtyard now at this moment. The timing perfectly made by God. Here he is. He is being escorted, pushed, shoved, dragged through the courtyard. Everybody is watching. His face covered with spit. His head has been beaten. He is puffy and bruised. And there he stops for a moment. And at the very moment the rooster crows, he stops and through swollen eyes, he looked into the eyes of a fallen man of God. What kind of a look did Jesus give Peter? Disgust? Hatred for what he had done? No. I like what one author said. It was a look of injured love. Injured love. After all that he had gone through, he was still concerned about Peter. Someone once said that Jesus does not change us so he can love us. He loves us so he can change us. 
And he loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. And that's exactly what he was thinking about when he looked at Peter's face. The pain of the failure must have been eating and shattering to Peter. He felt like a total screw-up. This was the darkest hour in human history. It was Satan's finest hour. And honestly, it would have been no surprise to anybody if Peter had done what Judas had done, went out and hanged himself. But this man is no Judas. This man is Peter. This is a man of God. And Jesus looks at him with that injured love. And Peter realized the great love that he had had for him. And he realized all of what had happened was exactly what Jesus had said. But now, the fall of the empire of Peter. What's the rise? How did he come after this? How did he come back from such a total screw-up? And I will say this, nobody in this building, no matter what you've ever done, has ever screwed up any more than what Peter did. How do you come back? Well, how did Peter come back? There are three things that Peter did. Let me share these with you before we close. Peter's three steps in making things right. Number one, he went out. Verse 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He went out. A change came over him. The absolute stinkiness of the company that he was in made him sick to his stomach. He couldn't even be around those people anymore. Couldn't be around his vice. Couldn't be around his sin. And that is a great moment in our Christian life when we say, that's it, man. I am done with this. Like the prodigal son, I'm done. Man, I am, I am so sick of the stink of the pig's pen. I am out of here. And that's when we know we have true repentance. Because true repentance hates the sin and not merely the penalty. Some people will change because they're afraid of the penalty. But we know when it's true repentance because we're absolutely sick of our, to our stomach. Just sick. In fact, one of the great Puritans said that repentance is the vomiting of the soul. It's just a sick, I am so sick. When I even think about what I did, I get physically ill. I'm just so sick. I'm repulsed at what I did. Peter went out. He left that company. He said, I am done. <laughs> you can, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. He went out. Number two, he went down. Peter went out, verse 62, but he also went down on his face. It says he wept bitterly. The Greek phrase there is to wail loudly. To wail. I'm not, he wasn't just a little boohoo. He wasn't just tears in his eyes. I'm telling you, he was on his face wailing. And I think that everybody in this room has had a moment like that. I know I have. Whether it was because of sin, whether it was because of failure, whether it was because of just uh, trauma or emotional pain, whether it was just a sense of hopelessness, but to wail before the Lord. You know, the Bible does point out a difference between praying and crying out. He wailed. He went down on his face before God. He 
said, I'm so sick of what I did, and he repented. But I think it wasn't just his sin that made him weep. I think the fact that he looked into the eyes of a loving Savior, he went out, he went down, and then he went in. You say, what do you mean he went in? Well, first of all, he went into the Word. Verse 61, it says, Peter remembered the Word. He remembered the Word. And that's how we get out of our situation. We remember the Word. And I will tell you that if you're in the pit and you have blown, you've a royal screw up, the first thing to do is just get into the Word. Remember the Word. But not only did he get into the Word, he, second of all, got into fellowship. We're told in John chapter 21 that he gets into the fellowship of God's people. And Jesus finds him in John chapter 21, and he, in his um, pre-ascended body, uh, comes to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? He asks him a second time. You know, Lord, I love you. A third time, Jesus said, do you love me? Peter was a little irritated. said, I love you. He asked him three times to remind him of the three denials that he had made. And then he said, all right, Peter, I know you do. Now I want you to go out, and I want you to make a difference in this world. You are my shepherd. Notice he said, feed my sheep. He called him a pastor right there. That's what the word shepherd means. It means pastor. He said, I need you to pastor people, and your brokenness is going to be the very thing that is going to draw people. Your failure, you're going to tell this story wherever you go, and you're going to remind people how much that I love them, and I want you to feed my sheep. And you know what? Peter went on to have an amazing, blessed gospel ministry, preached all over Asia Minor. In fact, some believe he even went as far as to India. And because of his strong stand for the Lord, and he was right, he was able to die for the Lord, and he did. When it came time for him to die, they were going to crucify him. And Peter said, you may crucify me, but I ask one request. Do not crucify me the right way. Crucify me upside down. I am not even worthy to be crucified like my ward. He made it through this, and he came back from this sin. And if you want to know how he thought about all of this, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter wrote these words, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained precious faith with us. Through all of the things that I went through, I obtained a precious faith, a precious faith. Satan wanted to sift Peter to find impurities so he could condemn him. But hallelujah, Jesus said, okay, you can sift him, but only to cleanse him. C.S. Lewis said this, a Christian is not one who never goes wrong, but one who repents again and again after each stumble. Let me tell you a story before we close. It is a legend, and it reminds us, I think, of just how much we need the Lord and how much that He's willing to 
lead us and make us a different person. A beggar lived near a palace of a king. One day, he saw a proclamation posted outside the palace gate. The king was giving a great dinner, and you were all invited to come, but you must be dressed in royal garments. When he looked at that invitation and thought of what it must be like to be there with the king and all the food and the regalia, he was amazed. But then he looked at the rags he was wearing and sighed, realizing it couldn't be him. But then suddenly and slowly an idea crept into his mind. He made his way back to the palace gate and approached the guard. Please, sir, I would like to speak to the king. You want to talk to the king? Please. All right, I'll ask. Incredibly, in a few minutes, he was brought before the king himself. What is it that you want? The king asked the beggar. Oh, your majesty, I want so much to attend the banquet, but I have no royal robes to wear. Please, sir, if I may be so bold, may I have one of your old garments so that I too may come into the banquet? The beggar was trembling in fear of what the king might say and do to his request. The king was pleased. He said, you've been very bold in coming to me. And he called to his son, the young prince, and he said, take this man to your room and array him in some of your clothes. The prince did as he was told, and soon the beggar was standing before a mirror, clothed in garments he had never, ever even dared to think he could own. You are now eligible to attend the king's banquet tomorrow night. But he said, even more important, you will never need any other clothes. These garments will last forever. The beggar dropped to his knees. Oh, thank you, he cried. But as he started to leave, he looked back. And he saw the pile of dirty rags on the floor. And he hesitated. Hmm, well, what if the prince is wrong? And what if I might need my old clothes again? When no one was looking, he quickly gathered them up. All the banquet that night was far greater than he ever imagined. But frankly, he could not enjoy himself. Because he had made a small bundle of his old rags. And they kept falling off of his lap. The food was was passed so quickly, and the beggar missed some of the best delicacies because he was always fiddling with his old rags, this bag of clothes he carried. And time proved that the prince was right. He never did need any other clothes. No one ever came to ask for the clothes back. And yet still the poor beggar was doubtful, clinging all his life to his old rags. And wherever he went, he carried his bag of clothes. As the time passed, people seemed to even forget the royal robes we was wearing and always wondered what was in that little bundle of filthy rags that he clung to wherever he went. In fact, everybody even spoke of him, the old man with the old rags. As he, time went by, he lay dying. The king visited him. The beggar saw the sad look on the king's face when he looked at the bundle of rags by the bed. And suddenly the beggar remembered the prince's words. He realized that all his life, his bundle of rags had cost him a lifetime of joy. He had been given royal robes by the son of the king himself, and yet he clung to his old bag of clothes.
My friend this morning, I read that story and I thought, you know, here's Peter. You talk about a pile of old rags. You talk about baggage. Anybody ever carried baggage with him into his future? It was Peter. Nobody has ever denied Jesus any more terribly, even blasphemed his Lord than Peter. And yet God said, Peter, I'll use you. You know, if God doesn't use ruined people, sinful people, he'll never use anybody. God wants to use you this morning. Be a Peter. Don't be a Judas. Don't just say, I've blown it. That's it. No, be a Peter. Say, okay, Lord. Yes, I've blown it, but I know you want me back and I'm ready to serve you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.